1 John chapter 4. Doing a study of the first epistle of John. Looking at, as John does, most specifically, love. I've titled this series, Love Unleashed, and today's message, Understanding Love. John keeps returning to this topic of love, and he does so to illustrate for us, to expand upon our understanding of what love is. Earlier in chapter 2, he talked about love being a mark of fellowship that we have with God, that when we walk in love, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And so we have fellowship with God. Last week in chapter 3, we saw that when we love one another, it's a mark of our sonship or daughtership or our being children of God, carrying his very nature with us. When we love, God is with us. And it reveals that we are a part of his family. Now in chapter 4, John begins to expand upon this and talks about really the very nature of love. What love is all about. And we're going to see in chapter 4 here uh, the origin of love. Where love comes from. We're going to see how love is expressed. And when it is expressed... What does it do? What does it accomplish? And then finally, we're going to take a look at the ultimate outcome of love. What results from the expression of love? And specifically when I'm talking about love, I'm talking about the love that comes from God. It says in, uh, let's see, verse 16, and actually a couple of other places, That God is love. He is the giver of love, the originator of love. And so any true expression of love comes from God. We don't stir it up within ourselves. Even the non-believer who expresses love in a very pure way. And we've seen that, haven't we? We've seen people who are not Christians who express profound acts of love. It comes from God. When they're expressing that profound act of love, they're doing it because whether they know it or not, they are image bearers of God. They are created in His image. And God has, throughout the entirety of the world, given what is called theologically common grace or grace that is available to everyone. So even the non-believer, as an image bearer of God, and as a recipient of the common grace of God, is able to express the love that comes from God. God is the originator of love. That is where love comes from. And for us as Christians, it's important to understand that our expression of love, our ability to love effectively. And when I'm talking about love, loving effectively, I'm talking about allowing God, his very heart, to move through us in expression to other people. We do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Back in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, the very last verse of chapter 3, John says, this is how we know that he lives in us. So John says, this is the marker. This is the gauge that you should look for if you believe that God lives in you. We know it by the Spirit that he gave us. So the Holy Spirit indwells each one of us. Each one of us, when we are born again, we are born again of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says in in Titus 3.5, actually enters into our physical bodies and regenerates us. It makes us a new creation in Christ. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. Now, this is all theological, but it's very practical. You must understand that as a Christian, you walk with the Spirit of the God indwelling you, the Spirit of the living God indwelling you. And the power that comes from the Spirit of the living God goes with you wherever you go. It is accessible to you wherever you go. So when we love, it originates in us through the Holy Spirit. Now, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul talks to the Galatians about the difference between the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the works of the flesh, the things that we are able to do physically. And it's interesting to me that the very first word when Paul describes the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it is the word love. So the fruit of the Spirit's presence in our lives ultimately is love. All of the other things that Paul talks about there in Galatians 5.22 are aspects of love's expression of the presence of God in our lives. So love originates with God because God is love. And it says in verse 16, whoever lives in love lives in God. So love is an absolute necessity for us as Christians. If we are going to call ourselves sons and daughters of God, if we are going to truly impact our world, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we must live in love because when we live in love, we live in God and the power of God accompanies us. Now, unfortunately, throughout the centuries, churches have not necessarily been the best illuminators of what love is. I mean, it's just sad but true. A lot of times people talk about going to church and having churches judge them or treat them badly or treat them as second-class citizens. It was happening even in the early church. The apostle James said, you know, if you have someone who comes into your fellowship and they are impoverished, they're not someone of prominence within the community, and you tell that person, go sit here in the back. We don't want you to be very obvious to these more prominent members of our congregation. James says, how does the love of God dwell in you? So even back in the apostolic times, the churches were dividing themselves and not expressing love. 
Here's a definition of love for you. Love is an absolute consuming desire for the very best for someone else that originates from the heart of God but is carried out through the hands of mankind. We're looking for the very best for other people. It's not about us, but it's rather what we can do for other people. See, there are three different kinds of love spoken of in the Greek language, two kinds specifically in the New Testament. The Greek language talks about eros, or what we might call an erotic love. But it's basically just a sensual love, a flesh-based love. It's something that we seek out experiences that uh, titillate us or accentuate our senses. That's erotic love. The New Testament talks about phileo or brotherly love. It's the kind of love that we express when someone else is endearing to us or we like something about them. They appeal to us. And so we have an affection for them because of who they are, what they do. There's still something in it for us, though. We're enjoying that experience. But the kind of love we're talking about here in chapter 4 is agape. And agape love is essentially what I just defined for you, a love that is consumed by the well-being of others, looking for opportunity to serve, to bless, to be good to others. That's what God does for us. It's not based upon what the other person looks like, what the other person's social prominence might be, what the other person's financial status is. It's not about any of those things. It's just about the fact that God's love is flowing through us to them. It's a benefit for them. That's what this love is all about. So it's not self-centered. It's not fleshly. It's not carnal in any respect. It's a spiritual love that is giving, that is sacrificial. And we'll talk about that in a moment when we talk about expressions of love. So so where does love originate? It originates from God. And God is present in us through the Holy Spirit. And when we walk in the Spirit, we are walking in love. When the Spirit is filling us. We, we often talk about being filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? What does it mean when we are filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we think about it in the terms of perhaps like an empty glass that gets filled with water from a pitcher. And, and perhaps that's one illustration, but one that I prefer is when we are filled with something, we are controlled by it. directs our actions. When we are filled with anger or rage, it is the anger and the rage, that emotion that is controlling our actions, isn't it? But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, love comes out. So, 
how do we express love? How does love come out? What does it look like? Well, in the first six verses here of chapter 4, it talks about the fact that love and truth are absolutely tethered together. Truth is essentially the skeleton upon which the flesh of love exists. You cannot have the true expression of love without truth undergirding it and holding it up. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you, that is the Holy Spirit, is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So love, the expression of love, as I said, is placed upon the structure of truth. You've got to have truth to have real godly Love come out. And that's what Paul's, or excuse me, John is saying here. He's saying that if someone is out there and, and doing things that seem loving, that appear to be loving, but they deny that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, they don't acknowledge that Jesus is from God, then the Apostle Paul would say their love is just like a clanging cymbal. Or a noisy gong. Interesting. The Apostle Paul said that if I give everything I have to the poor, and if I give myself, sacrifice myself, my own body, that it would be burned in the benefit of someone else, and yet I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, isn't that an amazing statement? Paul suggests that we can do these extraordinary things, but really not have God's love driving that action. It's empty, even though in a dramatic sense, it might be quite profound. That's what John is saying here. We must have the truth of God undergirding our expressions of the love of God. It's got to start with an understanding that Jesus came in the flesh, that Jesus came from God. In order for it to be an expression of godly love. There were many teachers that John is saying are out there. And they're teaching things that perhaps sound right, good, Proper, perhaps even in some respect, Christian. And yet, they deny Jesus Christ. They deny that he came in the flesh and that he was from God. John would assert that they are false teachers, that they have the spirit of Antichrist in them, and that regardless of what good works they might do, they are empty works. 
Yes, perhaps influenced by the common grace of God, but not originating from God, not channeled through the Holy Spirit of God because it denies the Son of God. So the expression of love must be founded in the truth of God. Love also, when expressed, is expressed in relationship. Now, I was reading an an article. How many of you know uh, Simon and Garfunkel? You've heard of Simon and Garfunkel. How many uh, know that Art Garfunkel has expressed that he pretty much hates people? I read an interview with him just a couple of weeks ago, and he said, I don't like people. I don't like being around people. I'm not good with people. He much prefers being isolated, being uh, alone. That would be a person who would have a difficult time truly expressing godly love because godly love absolutely is expressed in relationship. First, with him, in relationship with him, but also with one another. Verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us or perfected or ultimately matured in us. It happens through relationship, through the fact that we know God because God loves us. God expresses his love towards us. We receive that love, and through the experience of that love, we come into relationship with him, and we know him. The word there in the Greek is genosko, and and what it means is being in an approving connection with someone. It's the same word that gets translated, Adam knew Eve, and she conceived. So it's talking about knowing in a very intimate fashion. So it's talking about a relationship here between us and God, but then it goes horizontal. It says that we express it and love is completed, perfected, matured in our relationship with one another. If we love one another, God is living in us and his love is completed in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. As he said in verse 24 of chapter 3, he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So we have this relationship, not just with one another here in this building, in the church, which is challenging enough, isn't it? I mean, honestly, guys, have you come to the church sometimes and just hoped that you didn't run into that person? Sure you have. All of us have. But if you, that, that, that's in the context where you have a Lord and Savior who's telling you love one another. But we also have to have relationship with a love for 
a concern for the ultimate benefit of the world outside of these laws. Those people who do not understand this language that we are speaking, this concept of love and salvation that comes from God through the sacrifice of his son. But here, John is saying, we see and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And that if anybody in the world acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God will live in them and they in God. And so we know and rely upon the love God has for us. So love is expressed in relationship, not in isolation. We cannot cut ourselves off from other people, whether in the church or in the world. And certainly we cannot sever ourselves from the love of God and ever expect that love is going to be truly matured in us. See, I've said this many times. We get to come together in the church to practice love so that, because God's pretty good at this. We're coming to church hoping we don't run into that person. And who is the first person you see as you step into the door? because God wants you to deal with them. He wants you to get it right. He wants you to forgive and be forgiven. He wants you walking in love. And it's an opportunity here where you have much support to get that done and then to take it outside of these walls into the workplace, into the community, and show them the love of God as well. Love is expressed in relationship. So then, finally, what is the outcome of love? When we receive love, subsequently express love, what is the outcome of love being present? John writes, This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Interesting. John's talking about love suddenly introduces this topic of judgment, the day of judgment, that time when God is going to evaluate our lives. And John says, love, when it is complete, gives us confidence on the day of judgment. A boldness, if you will, to stand before God. Now, that seems like a contradiction in terms to me. To be bold and to be standing before God. Really, most of us, if the truth were told, should be on our faces before God in absolute abject fear. But that's not the outcome of love. John here says that we can have confidence on that day of judgment. That moment when we stand before God, we can have absolute confidence because of love. Listen to this. This is one of the most amazing scriptures that I have ever read. And I read it probably a hundred times before it finally clicked what it was really saying. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. It's during Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is speaking to the Father. And he says, My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples who were with him, but I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So 
by proxy, he is praying for us, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, this is the meaty part. Oh, You've got to take this home and read it through a few times. Then, the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, the disciples, and by proxy, you and me, that the Father has loved us just as you have loved me. Well, the very same love that the Father has for Jesus Christ, the very same love that he has for Jesus Christ, he has for us. Each one of us. It's not a different kind of love. It's not a different measure of love. It's not a different quality of love. He loves us just like he loves Jesus. And that's why we can stand before him in the day of judgment with confidence. Whoa, I'm overwhelmed just thinking about it. I can stand before him knowing that he looks at me and loves me just like he loves Jesus. He's not looking at all of the sin I committed, all of the faults that I have. He's looking at me like he looks at Jesus. Excuse me, sorry. Because in this world, John says, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. The one who fears is that person who is still continuing to try to live by the law. Thou shalt and thou shalt not. Oh, I blew it today. I did not do what I was supposed to do. Oh, I blew it today. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. That's no way to live. And you're going to be constantly fearing because you are going to be constantly failing. But when you live in love, and when you know that the Father loves you just like he loves Jesus, and that just as he pronounced over Jesus at the baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He's looking at me right now, and he's saying the same thing. He said, this is my son whom I am well pleased. Wow. That's the outcome of love, that confidence, that relationship, that absolute assurance that we can stand before him, with him, and know that he loves us, that he's not judging us based upon our faults. He's not judging us based upon our failures. He's judging us because he loves us. He's judging us to give us blessing, to give us good things. And thus, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. So the outcome of love, the outcome of us 
receiving love from God is that we share love with one another and with those who are yet to become a part of this family of faith. God is better than we give him credit for. He loves us more than we can possibly know. But chew on this. This is your assignment for this week. God loves you just like he loves Jesus. Nothing different. Absolutely nothing different between his love for Jesus and his love for you. It might even bring you to tears. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great love that you've given to us. Help us to understand it more and more, to experience it more and more, to express it more perfectly. Lord, forgive us for the many times we have fallen short of loving, that we have not been filled with the Spirit. And move us at the impulse of the Spirit in love. Help us to walk in a fashion that causes our friends, our family, our friends and neighbors to look at us and say, I've never seen that before. What is it? And help them to know it's the love of God in us. In Jesus' name, amen.